world's not as simple as it used to be. It's not enough to be a good guy anymore. We have to be the best. The time has come. All will be accounted for. Or we will hunt them. Stand up! It's time to be the heroes we were always meant to be! Thankfully, we're not recording on my birthday. Yeah, because you would hate to spend your birthday with your best podcast friends. I, I would hate to spend my birthday awake. <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh. I nap on my birthday. I hardcore. I don't even nap. It's just three sleeps stack on top of each other. <laughs> <laughs> I don't do anything fun. I don't eat anything good. I just sleep through the whole day. It's nice. <laughs> that keeps me going for the next four months. It's like a weird sort of, I don't know, inverse of the the Brian Regan joke. There's no cake. There's no ice cream. Happy birthday. Yeah. It's it's less fun uh, when you're an adult. <laughs> just I just, everything's I just don't fun. I just don't I mean I've been like this for a while. I just don't need a birthday celebration. It's a, it's literally a participation award. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> you've you've lived a year, which, you know, I guess in some depressing scenarios is an achievement. Not for me. Frankly beats the alternative of not living a year, right? I guess, yeah. Um, but I don't really need, I don't really need that to be quote unquote, like celebrated. I'm okay. Just, uh, I don't need that sort of positivity in my life. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know, man. I just don't need to stress that about who is or isn't coming to the celebration. People stressing out about maybe giving me a present, maybe not, and then being like, I'm sorry, and then me being like, it doesn't matter. You're not going to get me what I want anyways, because I'm an adult with adult money who is single without kids, so I can buy myself whatever I want, whenever I want. (laughs) It's fine. (laughs) I just don't need any of that. I just want the day to be as stress-free. You know how how to keep it stress-free? By not being awake. It's the best. (laughs) <laughs> oh man, my birthday this this past year, my wife was like, I really want to make your birthday special because you do so much for the family and I just want to make sure that you have a good time and Aww. let's do all the stuff that Aww. you want to do. And, and I'm like, this is a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, see? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's like That's what the I'm nicest about. thing in the world. Um, but then it's like, oh no, we watched the Batman and it was depressing and I'm not sure she liked it. And oh no, oh no, the birthday is ruined. I didn't have it at perfect time and so now it's sad. Uh, yeah, if you if you asked me if you were like, oh, what do you want to do for your birthday? I'd be like, I don't know, let's watch an anime movie. And really, that's a toss up, right? Because I could watch something fun and exciting, like uh, Walk on Girl. The night is short, whatever. Oh, or it could is, be really sad. The night is short. Walk on Girl, something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or it could be really sad, like I want to eat your pancreas. Gosh, it's such a weird title. It is, but it makes sense in the context of the of the movie. I've, I've heard it's good, but I'm not gonna watch a movie called I Want to Eat Your Pancreas. It is like uh, like Your Lie in April, but condensed into two hours. Saddest two hours. Yeah, except oh my gosh, it's, you know what's gonna happen? It's kind of like Scare for the Fireflies because the beginning tells you like what's gonna happen, but like uh... it doesn't it doesn't happen the way you think it's gonna happen. So when it happens, you're like oh. My heart, I wasn't prepared. <laughs> but it doesn't just end, it keeps going, and you're like, oh, my heart. Anyways, I'm a sensitive boy when it comes to drawings. When it comes to drawings? <laughs> yeah, I don't cry for humans, I cry for drawings. Oh, man. <laughs> are, are, are today's drawings that we're going to discuss uh, cryworthy? For other reasons. Yeah, I mean, 
I mean, yeah. <laughs> For other reasons, <laughs> uh, Maybe we should get into it then. So this is the Superhuman Registration Podcast. My name is Steven, and I've got John and Aldo with me on the line, and we are here to talk about... Oh, boy. Uh, so we got a Spider-Man story and an Avengers story. I think in the interest of... Um, oh, wait, hold on. What am I doing? Where are my manners? How are you guys doing tonight? You just want to talk about Spider-Man. Spider-Man. You don't care about us. <laughs> This has been Steven's plan all along. He really wanted he really wanted to talk about Rick Jones. But you can't talk about Rick Jones without a three year buildup. Because it takes about three years for you to go, I guess I can read about Rick Jones. I mean, who cares? But okay, yeah, all right. The th- the thing I love hate about Rick Jones is how much that just sounds like a rapper name. It really does. Well, I think it I is, think it's because it? well, I think it's because of uh, Rick James and Rick Flair. There's precedent for a Rick two-name, two-syllable name that, that like, has something to it. I don't know. Huh. I'm Rick Jones, B. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. exactly I'm Rick does. Jones, Hulk. <laughs> That's just what he does, and he slaps the Hulk. <laughs> Unity. <laughs> so we're going to start with Spider-Man, though, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So, Aldo, take it away. Anyways... So we read a two-issue mini-arc from a Spider-Man spinoff called Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man, which is kind of like a collection of, you know, smaller, less world-universe-impacting stories, and it's kind of just him dealing with, you know, smaller villains. And this particular arc is called Masks. This is two issues, uh, Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man number six and number seven. In which we meet Juan Carlos, also known as El Muerto, which is like the dead. Okay, but El Muerto, I, I keep saying it really white, I, and I don't apologize. But <laughs> El Muerto, he says it's like the dead, which is, I think the way that they're trying to interpret that is like the death, right? Like, kind of like a Grim Reaper or something like that. But El Muerto, the way it's written, is like the dead one, not like the death. It's, who is he? He's El Muerto. He's the dead one. He's not alive. He is a corpse. I just want to get that out there because it wasn't right. But we start out with we start out with a different El Muerto other than Juan Carlos, who is the father, and his son is too scared to become the next El Muerto. So his father is killed by some sort of wrestling lucha mask spirit and kind of sentences the father to death and gives the son 10 years to be able to defeat an opponent and kind of earn his title you know or get his courage or his title so he picks spider-man for some reason because that's the best opponent you could pick um it's because spider-man has a mask yeah he had a mask yeah so uh, we fast forward 10 years, he, he challenges him, he's been, El Muerto's been tagging J. Jonah Jameson, uh, he's being held at, he's being robbed, and there's a bunch of stuff going on with him and his son, where he thinks his son is Spider-Man, turns out he's not, Oh, what a surprise, not to us, the reader, we already knew that. El Muerto tells him he's been uh, tagging him, or following him for a little while, he wants him to help him be able to fight Spider-Man, so he is able to challenge him, and does a mascara a mascara, which is a mask to mask, which means that the loser has to unmask themselves. Spider-Man having presumably not really taken it much, you know, high school Spanish because he's a nerd and he was taking physics <laughs> and calculus probably. <laughs> Does not know what he signed up for, so he agrees to the match. Halfway through the match, you know, he this is during the this is during the Straczynski totem BS stuff that was happening, so he has like sweet like stingers in addition to the natural wet fluid, stabs him. By accident, mid-match, because he panics about the whole mask 
masking, unmasking thing. Uh, El Muerto ends up in a hospital, is being tracked, and presumably, you know, they're trying to kill him by, like, this other guy, like, the golden something. This, uh, El Dorado. Oh, my gosh. Why did I forget that? El, El Dorado. Dorado. I was, yeah. I was going to say, I was like... Yeah, the I don't hablo the Espanol, but... <laughs> yeah, El Dorado, yeah. That's Spanish for the Dorado. De- <laughs> I hate it. Gosh. But he's, going, so he's, going to, he's going to kill El Muerto, but Spider-Man intervenes, and I think because Spider-Man beat him, he goes away, but it's also like, well, I can't. He's been defeated in this challenge or something. I don't know what the rules of Lucha Death Spirits are, but it just ends. Like, it just, we don't really know what happens to El Muerto after this. He just kind of goes back to the hospital bed and presumably recovers and leaves and spider-man is you know just hanging out and el dorado is just gone yep but what about may and jarvis's hot date and flirtations <laughs> and who was that mysterious man outside who looked like uncle ben <laughs> oh no anyways the before we start talking about the other stuff uh creative team on this is written by peter david and pencils by roger cruz uh colors by chris sotomayor inkers victor olasaba and letters by Corey Pettit. Cool. Feel free to talk about the hot, sexy date. Not a fan. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite part is when Aunt May is asking Jarvis, what do I call you? And he's like, look, nobody knows me by any name other than Jarvis in this magazine. So you should just call me Jarvis. <laughs> oh, yeah. She's like, is it Ed, Edwin, Eddie, blah, blah, blah. He's like, I don't know. Those sound too American for me. No. You see, those are those are the names of young people, and you and I are olds. Therefore, <laughs> Aloysius Jarvis came to this country by boxcar. <laughs> no, I, uh, <laughs> I no, it doesn't, isn't Edwin? Isn't that his, really his first yeah, name? It's his, yeah. Okay, nobody calls okay. him that. Nobody calls him that. They just yeah. say, Jarvis, clean up this mess. We've fought with mandroids, and it's 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 sticky in here. I don't know. <laughs> Boy, that came out wrong. Um, I didn't I didn't care for this. <laughs> I thought I thought the coloring and the inking was well done, uh, particularly the coloring, but the art was very hit and miss, and more more miss than hit. I think for me, um, this is like a very middle of the road book. Uh, uh, very middle of the road in terms of the art. Like it wasn't, to me, it didn't wow me, but it also didn't disappoint. Like it's just, for lack of a better term, it feels a little house style. It's very serviceable. Yeah. I, serviceable, I think. I still think that's generous. I don't know. I didn't I didn't hate the art. I did find a couple of like the, the figures a little bit weird, especially the faces for some reason. I don't even know what it is about the faces that particularly bothered me. They looked a little flat. Eyes are too far apart. Maybe that's what it is. Consistently. Yeah. Um, but I don't, yeah, I don't know. I didn't, I didn't hate the art. Um, uh, I, I did find the story though, a little bit underwhelming, which is a shame. I just, I just don't know who. Okay. So, so context, not story context, like, like John usually does, uh, just, I guess, real world context. Part of the reason why we're reading this is because they had recently announced that Sony was going to be doing another one of their villain movies. But instead of choosing somebody notable, you know, kind of like they ruined Morbius or whatever, uh, they picked this guy. They picked him, El Muerto, and he's going to be played by some rapper named like Bad Bunny, I think. Yeah, someone I've never This bud's well. Yeah, who, who isn't, who does not, is not built like a luchador, or at least like this luchador. Uh, you know, he's big and, you know, whatever. And so like, that's why we read this, because this is the whole, this is everything. 
This is all the content. This is all the mm. research. Uh, he's only appeared in these in these two books. Does not come back or has been followed up upon in the last uh, sixteen years. But for some reason, two issues is enough to give him his own movie. Is it? Y- yes. Oh. It's not a question, do- John. It happened. It's happening. <laughs> <laughs> But why? <laughs> like That's the real they, question, isn't it? Do they think that they will attract fans of luchador wrestling? At, at, like, are they going after like a Spanish-speaking market? Possibly. I, I, I like. I don't know why they would like. All right, let's go. Nope, Sinister Six never gonna happen. Uh, Mary Jane getting her own movie. Nope. Spider Gwen. Nope. Like there are there are things that like I don't I have no idea like why they would go like this is it. These are the two issues. This is the character. They're green light. They're gonna make a movie on this character after like so so Venom movies and and a bad Mor- Morbius movie, which like I didn't even care for the character in the comics. There's, Fine, whatever. There's probably like, less guilt to you know ruining the legacy of two issues as opposed to fifty years of a. Empire. I guess. Okay, but there's potential here, though, right? Like, there could be. Like, hypothetically, is there is there a luchador superhero that is, like, worthwhile? Yeah, I, I mean, like, El Santo had, you know, dozens of movies in, like, the 40s in Mexico. Fair point. That's okay, let me... just a luchador superhero. Let me tailor it a little more uh, to, like, is there a superhero from the, like, American comics? Because, of course, yeah, in, in, like, Mexican pop culture, of course there's something that I'm not aware of. But, yeah, that, that actually is a very, very good point. But it's still, like, yeah, I, I feel like in the big push to uh, have superheroes in American comics from multiple regions, multiple countries. Nobody's ever really made a luchador work. Like, weirdly, I think Spider-Man is the biggest luchador superhero in American comics. Apart from, well, Nacho Libre was never a uh, comic, so... That's boy. also not really a superhero. No, he has he's no a powers. Hero, and he is super, <laughs> but he's not a superhero. No, it just feels like, like taking such an obscure character, like, I yes, let's have um, better representation... But this feels like, hello, muchachos, look who we have for you. You know, it's just weird. Hello, fellow niños. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I couldn't make it work. I was like, how can I Steve Buscemi this? Yeah. How can I? Uh, dang it. Anyways, yeah, I, I, I don't know. Um, As far as, like, any in comics, I think... I don't really think we see a whole lot of lucha, and I think it's part of it. I think it's just really hard to incorporate that into like a not campy feel. Like it all, it always feels like a gimmick, right? Yeah. So I think that's why when we see Hispanic superheroes in comics, they're they're kind of not lucha. They're you know Jaime Reyes, the Blue Beetle. They're um, Sam Alexander, Nova. That's Robbie Reyes, Ghost Rider. Like they're not Victor. lucha. Victor Mancha, who's uh, just Victor Mancha. I, I Ultron's Ultron's kid. Kind is he of. Hispanic? His name's Victor Mancha. Yeah. I mean, that's also a, a, a Spanish Spaniard name. That's true. His his uh, I'll tell you um, his exact origins in just a moment. But I mean, he's he's part robot. <laughs> but uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know how to you know um, be inclusive, but. Dude's a robot. (laughs) (laughs) Them Terminators coming over here, taking our Terminators' jobs. Whatever. Oh, gosh. Uh, Oh, gosh. 
<laughs> I, I just remembered. Biggest, biggest luchador in superhero adjacent comics. Hellboy wrestles a vampire once. A lucha vampire. Yeah, yeah. That's a thing that happens. There was also a luchador in a comic we ran out too long ago. If I remember yeah, but that correctly. wasn't very good. Because he yeah, was a white guy. That's oh, that's right. It was the guy pretending to be Mexican. Yeah, yeah. But, but here's yeah, yeah. the thing. Like, it's like in Hawkeye. The, the... Disney Plus show that opens with Rogers the Musical. And everybody is like, oh, teehee, that's so cringy, that's so weird, huh? And I'm like, nope, that's actually, though, fine for a musical, right? Mm -hmm. How has there never been a successful superhero musical? Like, they are, superheroes are campy. They are cheesy. Lean into it, make a musical, it should work. Lucha seems like it would be a good fit in a similar way. Not that it would be, you know, like... Not like Lucha is is so unserious that it's a good match for comics. It's like, no, it's like part of the appeal of a lot of this stuff is that it takes itself seriously while knowing that it's not. So you can have fun with it. You remember yeah, I fun? Just, I just think I just think like wrestling has like a very specific flavor. Kind of in it's a lot like theater, right? Where like part of the camp and car, part of like the suspension of disbelief is because you're seeing it happen. So there's like a certain energy from that that doesn't quite translate to i think comics or even like video games i mean kind of translates to video games it translates to video games i would say pretty well uh just look at street fighter um yeah which weirdly as much as i love them street fighter comics are bad (laughs) (laughs) but yeah i can't imagine but here's the thing though (laughs) like i think this podcast is kind of an exception but out in the broader comics ecosystem you find that there's a lot of overlap between comics fans and uh, wrestling fans. Oh yeah. So my friend who got me into collecting comics in high school, uh, when we used to go to, uh, I'm going to dox myself a little bit here. <laughs> when we used to go to Nightfly and I think it was, uh, Dr. Volt. So we used to like, those were two shops. We'd stop over there. There are only like three shops in the entire Salt Lake area. So, you know, you're not doxing yourself. That <laughs> yeah. yeah. You can't really triangulate your, you know, <laughs> like oh, <yeah>. location <laughs> when there's only a, co- yeah, yeah. yeah. Anyways, but, um, <laughs> But he is a super huge wrestling fan. Uh, he's really into in, into comics still. Really big into that. Like, I follow him on Twitter and half his posts are wrestling stuff. Mm-hmm. I have several friends who are really into comics. And I would say, you know, percentage-wise, probably 80% of them are really into comics. Or the, the ones that are into comics are also into wrestling. Yeah, so since they go together so well, it just... I. I feel like Peter David was not the person to bring a good lucha story to comics. I think that's that's what this book taught. That's that's fair. Yeah, I have no complaints against El Dorado except his name is dumb, <laughs> but uh, looks spectacular. You know, I, I do. I think lucha masks are cool every single time. Mm-hmm. Like they're, I, it's I a really great aesthetic. Lucha masks. So it doesn't make any sense why there hasn't been like. Did we read something? Is there, like, Robbie Reyes, like, does his Ghost Rider have any kind of, like, influence? Like, no. No. Am I mixing it up with something else? Yeah, probably. I was thinking about uh, Warner Brothers. Or not Warner Brothers. I mean, yeah, I guess technically Warner Brothers. DC Comics likes to do a lot of variant themes. And a few years ago, and I have kind of, kind of a big problem with big corporations taking on, you know, uh, foreign aesthetics for, for fun and not necessarily for... A narrative reason but that's a whole other conversation <laughs> but they had done like a series of day of the dead covers and i think later followed them up by doing like lucha covers where they had done like a bunch of the characters as like luchador masks 
for like DC Comics. A lot of those look really great. There's also like a pop, like a Funko Pop subseries of Marvel characters also dressed like luchadors. And a lot of those, like, they're recognizable. Like, the way that they design their masks and costumes, you don't ever, like, look at them and you're like, oh, I don't know who that is. You're just like, oh, that's Iron Man as a luchador. I know exactly who that is. Hmm. I was, I'm that sure that was... A, pretty cool. I'm sure there was a point to that, but I don't remember what it was. <laughs> but point point is, yeah, like, that aesthetic should... I mean, it's a good aesthetic. I like it. It, it, it could work. I just... Mm-hmm. I don't know what it is about that translation, and maybe maybe it's a cultural thing. Maybe the problem is we're having a lot of people who aren't necessarily part of wrestling or lucha culture trying to write about about it. It's possible. Um, I think I've mentioned on the podcast before the one weekend that I got sick while we were <laughs> underground was on Netflix, and I watched it. <laughs> Um, the thing that was interesting to me about it, other than the fact that, um, you know, I found wrestling interesting for a hot minute, um, was the <laughs> fact that Lucha Underground meshes Lucha wrestling with American professional wrestling. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't feel like, again, my experience here is very, very limited, but I don't feel like the aesthetics are so distinct that you couldn't find common ground. Because um, yeah. my understanding is part of the appeal of Lucha is kind of like, the the high flying acrobatics, you know, jumping off the rope and having like a lot of aerial sorts of moves. Um, mm-hmm. That should translate to superhero comics quite nicely. It yeah. should. Um, I think you need someone who cares about the material uh, and has enough sub. Like you need someone who knows lucha and can write about it in a fun and loving way. And then you need like clever artists, the type of artists who would do a good job on Spider Man, because you, yeah. you need very similar sensibilities. I think. So this, on paper, is an excellent idea. And I think that's why it's so frustrating. Is that on paper, this story, this two-part story is brilliant. If you take mm-hmm. out all of the stuff about Jameson thinking his son is Spider-Man and Aunt May going on a date with Jarvis because there are only so many old characters in comics and characters <laughs> have a love interest. Um, Someday we'll read Trouble, I swear we will. I think it's funny that you say on paper this works, but it literally, it's a comic book. (laughs) They did put it on paper. (laughs) Yeah. Also, it's a Spider-Man comic. I get it. But this is a story that is very clearly supposed to be setting up El Muerto. And he does nothing in this story after getting stabbed. Like, he's he's damseled. At that point, he becomes the person that Spider-Man needs to save. The story is not about him overcoming his fear. The story is about Spider-Man learning that maybe magic and science aren't that different after all. I don't know. I, I, I feel like that's part of the reason that this story kind of lends with a thud for me is that you've got this character and he's kind of set up to be the emotional crux of the whole thing. And he's not because he doesn't get a payoff to anything that's set up. Quite disappointing. Yeah. Yeah. I think that Spider-Man is used a lot like that though, right? Like we're going to give you a new character, but don't worry. Spider-Man's going to be in the first issue to kind of, you know, wean you off of your normal, <laughs> your normal super teat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, Gross. Uh, <laughs> I, can't I can't name the episode that. I'm not naming the episode <laughs> super teat. Spidey and his amazing teats. Oh, no. Oh, no. Wolverine. No, no, or, no, no, or Wolverine no. does the same job because he's on so many teams. He could have adamantium teats. Nope. <laughs> okay. There were there were some interesting things here, and again I say nothing bad about the look of El Dorado. He is so very gold, um, and and like, I you know this is so this is Spidey's like 
Civil War. So is this like in the very narrow window, like once he gets his new costume, but before like people know who he is? Yeah, Civil War happened like the next year, if not the same year, I, I think. Spidey's in his red and gold suit, so this must be in that very narrow period. Like Yeah, you know. so it looks like going by the, I don't know history or release history of this there's issues 8 9 and 10 and then 11 is spider-man unmasked but it has like that whole uh civil war aesthetic like those those bands and that in that font um mm-hmm. so yeah this is like three months before civil war dang the, at the bare minimum the civil war unmasking well there you go um just look just commenting on past research yes Vic- victor mancha is a cyborg <laughs> um he is <laughs> Has human flesh from his mother, Mariella, Mariella, Marianella Mancha, who is from Mexico. So there you go. Neat. Robo Mexican. Did you say Robo Mexican or yes. Go Go Mexican? Like it was Inspector Gadget. <laughs> go Go Tacos. No, Robo Mexican. <laughs> go Go Gadget Tacos. Robo Muchacho. <laughs> With Santana on the guitar. <laughs> Dude, I play I played the crap out of that album in 1999. <laughs> Let's be honest. Oh my gosh. Sing to me, Rob Thomas. <laughs> Spider-Man should work as a teacher, right? Like Spider-Man is a high school like teacher. Like his day job be should be a teacher? It should be interesting. But for some reason, the minute Flash Thompson shows up again, is like, aha, you're a teacher and you're back in high school and your bully is here and he's also at the high school and he's going to bully you. That, like... Oh, yeah. And, and they were friends, but he lost his memories of him. Of, uh, very specific memories of them being friends. But nothing else, apparently. I have no gaps in my memory that would cause me to question the fact that I... Uh, I don't know. That was... That was silly. Yeah. yeah. You know what? Now, now that we talk about all of these weird little subplots, right? We talk about the whole magic thing with the spider totem. The science and magic thing happening. That This is, you know, a couple months prior to Civil War, Aunt May, Flash Thompson. There's just so much stuff going on. No wonder the actual wrestling story is so lackluster. The rest of this book is working like overtime to like kind of set up, kind of carry through, kind of do something with so many other things happening at the same time. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's maybe it's too busy and it's not clear that, hey, we care about the Luchador story, not all of this backstory from all of these years. You know, like if Flash Thompson shows up, you know, you got to pay attention. If Aunt May is doing something out of the ordinary besides like, well, good luck. <laughs> then you know you gotta you gotta pay attention so that does distract doesn't it Aunt May going to the club got to drop it like it's hot <laughs> woke up in the yeah. morning feeling like P. Diddy oh dear <laughs> <laughs> and not to, not to not to pick on the writing too much but at one point in this uh, Peter Parker talks about you know doing this wrestling match and the the you know charity money and he's like that'll That'll feed a whole lot of homeless people. I don't know why that line bothers me so much, but it does. It's like, that's not (laughs) how you talk about a population of people that you care for. It's like, that would help a lot of our friends. That would help a lot of the people that come to the shelter. That'll feed a lot of homeless people. I don't know why. I don't know. I genuinely don't know why it bothers me so much, but I thought that was bad. Part part of why it probably bothers you is... Probably because in recent years, there's been a lot of, like, Aunt May and Feast stuff that, like, has actually handled a lot of that, like, you know, seemingly well. Yeah, seemingly well, I think is fair. Um, that, that, yeah. The more troublesome part is Spider-Man and, hey, this is Homeless Tony. How's it going, everybody? <laughs> oh, yeah, there's also that weird, like, 
two-page or one-page subplot with, like, Mary Jane acting all awkward with Iron Man because people thought they might have maybe been dating for, like, a brief moment. Oh, gosh, yeah. <laughs> There's so much going on in this book. It Does any of it matter? Who knows? I mean, literally no, because it all gets rebooted in a couple of months. That's fair. L- yeah. 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 And yeah. I think this is kind of showing why in a weird way, maybe? I don't know. I think that might be putting a lot on this two issues, but yeah. Like, yeah, this this doesn't feel like what you want from Spider-Man in almost any way. Mm-hmm. Anyways, I feel like we've talked a lot about two issues. Should we I was going to say, we sunk like a half hour into this comic. Yeah. I, does it deserve <laughs> yeah. it? Who knows? <laughs> I mean, we're generous like that. Uh, let's move on to the Avengers, the Kree Scroll War. That's hard to say. Kree Scroll. Kree Scroll. Kree Scroll. Chris Crow. Chris Crow. Yeah, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta load up that S. It sounds like you're saying preschool. Yeah. Chris Crow. <laughs> I'm just gonna call it Rick Jones and his amazing pals. <laughs> Rick Jones. I'm Rick Jones, Cree. <laughs> So this is the Kree Skrull War, a arc of the Avengers that happened between June 1971 and March 1972, uh, featuring the tom- the the talents of Stan Lee, Roy Thomas, Sal Buscema, Neil Adams, John Buscema, inkers Sam Granger, Sal Buscema, George Russo, Tom Palmer, Sam Rosen, Mike Stevens, and Art Simic doing the lettering, Stan Lee editing. Um, this is Avengers 89 through 97, this whole, this whole story. Um, they, they like to use flashbacks, don't they, fellas? Boy, like, we're going and then all of a sudden it's like, well, this is what happened. But basically, um, Captain Marvel comes to Earth, but he's just covered in radiation from the negative zone. So they're draining it from him and kind of fighting him, they being Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Vision. Uh, and Rick Jones helping out. At this point, Rick Jones and and um, Marvel like trade places in the negative zone. Uh, when when Rick Jones slaps his bracelets together, boy, Rick Jones just he's kind of just like hopping around from uh, from superhero to superhero. Just he is a sidekick slut. He will sidekick for anybody. Whoa. Um, anyway. <laughs> that was like my, my goal is to have Steven like. Huh. Don't don't sidekick Shane. <laughs> we're we're pro sidekicks here. Please don't. It's real work. <laughs> oh my gosh! So Marvel uh, breaks into the Baxter Building, takes a portal to the negative zone, um, borrowing Reed Richards' um, uh, stuff. They um, are able to fight off Annihilus. They are attacked by a robot Sentry, who is sent by. Uh, Ronan the Accuser. Ronan the Accuser decides he wants to be in charge of the Cree. The, uh, he is going to fight Earth. He, uh, fight for Earth. He's going to take it over. And then he realizes, wait, the scrolls are up to something. And then he takes off. That's like three issues of just this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, they uh, At this point, Goliath is Clint Barton, um, who has... We've had a lot of ridiculous costumes on this show, but his might be the worst. It's like sleeves but no shirt. There's like metal bands between his uh, collarbones. Really messed up. Um, Ronan is trying to send Earth back to a prehistoric time and kind of conquer it. Send them, turning in, turning uh, some of the, the uh, Avengers into cavemen. And then eventually I think he wants to turn them all into amoeba. Just have them kind of devolve a little bit. But 
he's got to take off and fight off the scrolls. This is billed as the Kree Scroll War, and it's mostly just like here are some shenanigans with a couple of scroll and uh, um, you know a handful of Kree on Earth. Not really like I thought it was going to be big ships in space, and we get a little bit of that at the end. Um, then we also get some uh, some troubling court cases. There's a senator who. Um, wants to root out aliens among us, and they are they turn against the uh, Avengers because they're, you know, keeping Marvel around, and he's an alien, and they're they're picketing, and they break in and vandalize the building. Um, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and the Vision stand up for Marvel, but then they are um, they're turned away. The Avengers they're kicked out of the Avengers by Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor. But are they Captain America, Iron Man, and Thor? No, they're scrolls. Um, who, as cows, take out the Vision, which the Vision has made some big fights in this uh, series, and he's defeated by cows. That's the funniest part. Um, they are scrolls. They're all, at some level, attempting to use uh, Fantastic Four powers, but augmenting them with uh, uh, little inventions, because the real Super Scroll has pretended to be Carol Danvers this whole time and tricked Marvel into building an Omniwave projector. Um, it's a way for the Kree to speak to each other, but it could be a deadly weapon. He crushes it so that they can't get it, and then um, they are taken away. The Vision um, isn't able to save Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch and Marvel, who are taken to the Skrull homeworld. The Super Scroll returns with them, but is fought back by the Emperor, who realizes that he'll want to take over because he's a Super Scroll. Um, the meanwhile, meanwhile, back on Earth, the Avengers are attacked by mandroids that Senator Craddock, this, um, uh, xenophobic, uh, turd, um, that, uh, that's, that's in the official description, that's not my, uh, editorializing or anything, um, sends the mandroids, Tony Stark, who, um, is Iron Man, as we know, but is still a secret then, he's like, Iron Man says, I, I know how to beat them, because Tony told me and takes him out. Um, there's this whole issue where they are helping the Inhumans, um, to try to find a Black Bolt, because Maximus the Mad has, um, tried to seize power, and, uh, he's te uh, teamed up with the Kree, and is going to try to take over everybody, Maximus, or they fight, uh, Black Bolt is able to gain the power back, and then they all go to fight in space, um, <laughs> the... Rick Jones, we're back to Rick Jones. It's bookended with a lot of good Rick Jones sidekick comment or com content. Rick Jones is uh, thrown into the uh, negative zone again. Boy, that just happens a lot to him, doesn't it? He's a teen heartthrob and rock star, and yes, gets thrown into the negative zone. But he's um, rescued from the zone by the Supreme Intelligence, who is still kicking around, even though Ronan had kind of pushed him out. Um, he gives Rick Jones um, some hidden mental powers, the Destiny Force, it's called. And then Rick, who earlier had said, boy, I miss better heroes, kind of like a, a neg to his uh, teammates, you know. Right. Um, sends some Golden Age heroes to fight the uh, with the Avengers against the Skrulls, ending the war. Um, the uh, Destiny Force also reverts. I'm just, we're just straight up reading Wikipedia now. Uh, the Destiny Force also reverts Senator Craddock on Earth to his true scroll form, revealing he was the fourth scroll from the Earth Expedition and is subsequently killed by an angered mob. The heroes return to discover the real Senator Craddock has been found and the Avengers' reputation has been restored. Um, Stephen earlier today was like, let's, let's keep this, the uh, summary brief. And uh, I failed. <laughs> 
You did try. I did my I, I did try. I did try. But there's I think you I, I, it's less of by like 15 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> there's less of like I really thought it was like Kree are going to show up, scrolls are going to show up. They're going to fight on Earth. The Avengers are going to you know, fight both of them while at the same time trying to figure out how they can help one side over the other. And it was just like, okay, like the way comics were back then, it was like, but this issue has this character. Ooh, isn't it exciting? This issue has this character. Ooh. And they, it's not so much like the story of the Kree Skrull War as much as like there's a bit of that with just, you know, we're, I don't know. I don't know. There's cows. The Krees are, the Skrulls are, are in disguise as cows. I don't know what to tell you. Um, what did you all think of it? I have specific things to mention about the art, but I wanted to hear what you had to say. It's less a Kree Scroll war and more of a Kree Scroll, I don't know, dalliance? That imp- that imp- never mind. <laughs> I know what it implies, but the point is there's nothing to it. Like, the, the Krees and the Scrolls don't even really interact in this entire thing. At least not on not on paper. You know the mm-hmm. the uh, scrolls uh, invade the Kree homeworld off panel, and the Kree are mad about it. Apparently, Earth is a like a like a battleground between the two, but they never actually have any altercations on Earth. I don't know. I think it's misnamed. They spend a lot of time talking about how like they've been battling for millions of years or whatever, and how the Earthlings are just beyond their even their notice. But then it's like, but but we want Earth, but we want Earth. You know, I, I think it's just another spot to fight for them. But yeah, there's not. Is this is a Kree scroll kerfuffle? Kree scroll fuffle. I think Secret Invasion is more of a thing later. I don't know. Like, I think that's maybe what I was expecting where like this, I guess that's just scrolls though. The scrolls just show up. And, that's like, the scroll scroll you know, war. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> scroll kickers. Uh, although, what, are I, you, what did you think about this old comic? <laughs> uh, I fell asleep like three issues in. <laughs> I kept like like oh. you like you guys. I also just kept expecting an actual war to happen, and then it didn't. And then next thing I know, uh, you know, Rick Jones is vomiting Golden Age superheroes, and I yeah. was just like, I don't know what's going on anymore. But I like this part. What's going on with Bootleg Ghost Rider? <laughs> Namor. <laughs> I also say Namor when I need to vomit. So you know. Yeah. So I just I I don't know just a lot. This reminds me of the Dark Phoenix saga in that there's like a lot of stuff happening. A lot of it seemingly disconnected until the last minute. Yeah. And then, yeah. Because like, it's also, so there's all this stuff going on, right? Like there's all the space stuff going on. There's the Avengers stuff going on. The Fantastic Four are brought up multiple times. And I think the the Human Torch, does he appear? The old one. Or was one, it the, the other the Human Torch? One yeah. Appears when That's yeah. right. Yeah, Rick it was Jones the old, the, the original ones. It. Yeah. So like there's... A lot of mentions of the Fantastic Four, they don't really show up. And there's, like, this court case which, like, doesn't have either of the two superhero lawyers who are the ones that get me through superhero court cases. (laughs) 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 So I was just like, all right, cool. I just, I was kind of uninterested. It was kind of hard for me to stay interested. And, like, you know, you turn a page and, like, half that page is, like, white bubbles with text. And I'm just like, who cares? <laughs> yeah, there's and like some of the some of the like wordiness of it, 
was like, it's still that, like the earlier issues more than the later issues, but it's still like, I'm going to describe what's going on. It's like, you know, this is a visual medium, right? Like <laughs> you're not writing for radio. It's not like, my, what is that? Oh, but my opto beams will take out that rubble. <laughs> it's like, we can see it, man. You had a good artist draw it. Jeez. It so. felt like they were trying to mimic Stan Lee. Yeah. Yes. Very much which, so. Which, listen, no disrespect to Stanley. We love the man. You know, he's a, he's a storyteller. But don't mimic him. Please mm-hmm. don't. Yeah. He, the, yeah. The, the guy had a natural talent for what he did. Or maybe not natural. Maybe it's unnatural, but he just forced it on us. It, but, <laughs> yeah. but, like, don't emulate Stanley unless, like, you, you are Stanley. <laughs> Because it just doesn't come across... It just comes across as wordy. There was a certain, like, grandioseness that, like, Stanley, you know, could do that just doesn't come across when other people try to imitate him. And I don't know what it mm-hmm. is. I don't, I don't I couldn't. I couldn't tell you what specifically does that, which is my way of, you know, chickening out of a discussion about it. But, yeah, don't... Just don't. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> <laughs> now... Now, the art, I will say, I really enjoyed. Yes. Um, particularly the Neil Adams stuff. Because at first I was like, hey, this isn't bad. Like, I thought it was going to be like, you know, bad art to good art. Because, you know, it, it, the way that other the way that everybody talks about Neil Adams, you know, I've, I've read some of his Batman and it's fine. Yeah. You know, it, but like it didn't knock my socks off. This, however, you flip from one issue to the next. And the, the issue before Sal Buscema's art is good. Mm-hmm. It's very like... How to draw Mavericks the Carmel the How to draw comics the Marvel way? Wow. <laughs> how to draw Mavericks the Carmel way? <laughs> I'm gonna draw Mavericks the Carmel way. <laughs> oh my gosh. <sighs> Listen, Man, I know they said don't play with your food, but also don't draw with it either. <laughs> so, Selbushima's art is great, and I liked it a lot. And then we get Neil Adams and. The angles are very cinematic. We get, you know, different perspectives. The uh, action poses are great. This this issue where Ant-Man is inside of uh, Vision, just, like, trying to fix him because he's dead, but he's not dead. It's like stuff happened off... It's like the... I guess they did a weird flashback again where he gets, like, zapped by the, the uh, scrolls. Like, anytime stuff is not told in the right order, I get lost. And I'm like, why are we doing it this... Why don't you just tell it straightforward instead of being like, I'm going to describe to you what happened, but we're just going to do it in a different panel, and it could have been told just, like, whatever. So all of the all of this stuff where he's uh, inside the Vision's body, just like shrunken down and trying to like reboot him or whatever, was very cool. You know, there's there's uh, great expressions, you know, on all the characters' faces. Um, you know, a big a big noticeable difference and really great stuff. Um, but yeah, with like a story that's kind of all over the place, I guess, I don't know, is that, is that my expectations were one thing and I got something else? I don't know if it's all that, um, because it feels like it was just kind of like we're spending a lot of time with these inhumans. I don't know, but that's also another thing. Like if inhumans are in the story, I'm kind of already half asleep because I'm like, I just don't care for these B-list X-Men, you know? They have some good stories. We've read some inhuman stories that we've liked. True. Yeah, and heck, the Does Black Bolt story looked like it was going to be, you know, cranky old man having to take care of a little orphan boy, and you know that I'm here for that sort of thing. Didn't go there, <laughs> sure. but it no. could have been. 
<laughs> Lone Wolf and Bolt. Something. <laughs> <Yeah>. Black <laughs> Bolt and Punk. Wolf, wolf again? Oh boy, here we go. <laughs> Dadagar Cub again. <laughs> Papagar Sun again. Lousy conservative comedians only have one joke. The joke being, you know, they identify as whatever. It's the joke at the expense of trans people that genuinely isn't funny. Our one joke is funny. <laughs> All right, I was. Because we're making fun of fictional characters. Oh my yeah, God. I was like, oh boy, Steven's canceling us. Do you hear us getting canceled in real time? Look at us go. <laughs> yeah. Quick question: Have you have you guys both have you guys both seen uh, Doctor Strange? No, I have. What makes you think I've seen a movie, Aldo? <sighs> that's right. That's fair. Okay. Well, anyway, Aldo, I know what you're talking about. Thank and you. Yeah. Yeah. But unfortunately, I cheered. we can't talk about it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I cheered big time. Can't talk about it though. I know we don't talk about Black Bolt in front of Steven. <laughs> We don't talk about Black Bolt. No, 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 no. We don't talk about Black Gar Bolt again. It almost fits. We were in Atalon. We were in Atalon. The dialogue in this book is real bad. Like, Rick Jones would be 100% more tolerable if he just spoke like a human person. And not like an ad campaign. <laughs> <laughs> not like a, a middle-aged writer thinks a teen sounds like. Yeah. Oh, man. When did teenagers... Teenagers were still pretty new, right? As a marketing Like, this is early 70s? <laughs> um, as a yeah, we didn't invent teenagers until, like, the late 60s, early 70s. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, like, there was... They were, they, were, they were in sweatshops, and then they were nothing, and then they were teenagers. Like, we... <laughs> oh, yeah. It's like... Zounds, fellows, what shall we do? That's what it felt like every time, you know? And, like, weird... I always hate cultural reference. Like, oh, man, like, the Green Bay Packers get up against a high school team. It's like, ah, we don't... We don't need that. We don't... I don't know. I don't think... I don't think there's ever a way... That's why I like Dazzler. Because people can be fans of Dazzler and talk about Dazzler, and it's not a dated reference where it's like, you know, you have the, uh, I, I have brought it up before, but um, Civil War, um, the Human Torch talks about hanging out with Paris Hilton and Lindsay Lohan, and it's like, oh, Human Torch, I didn't realize you sucked, <laughs> you know, but, but there you oh, go. Oh, were you hanging out at a private island as well? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. Tony Stark definitely hung out with Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> I didn't want to name it, but... Apropos okay. of nothing. <laughs> Who did <laughs> Think Tony Stark? Oh no! No, you don't. He did. <laughs> Struggled with the dialogue in this. Yeah, yeah. And the, oh, they did a lot of talking. Did a lot of talking. Um, I, I, I kind of liked Ronan because he was just like a bad, bad guy. Like just you know, he's like I don't know. Um, I don't, I don't think he got a, a chance uh, enough of a chance in the Guardians of the Galaxy movie to like kick butt. It was kind of more just like I am a religious fanatic and I'm gonna get you. Um, I appreciated you know. that Ronan just looked like Ronan. Yeah, <laughs> as opposed to I don't know, literally, I don't know anybody that doesn't look like somebody else. I guess I don't know. <laughs> Listen, I'm just, I'm just, I'm just happy a cosmic character actually looks like the version I'm used to seeing. <laughs> <laughs> Does it bother you when the Scarlet Witch isn't in her like crazy getup? No, like, it bothered. No, I just tights. I just get insatiable rage every time I see uh, Star Lord in a leather jacket. 
there's so many different star lords the one right before the movie he was in like a cool helmet and like you know this like bright gold and like yeah. you know blue kind of deal and that was cool but nowhere near what we got and nowhere near what we're gonna ever gonna get so whatever mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um i think uh, i'm i'm glad that we have this i think kree <laughs> versus scrolls is interesting um, I don't think this is the story that I thought it was going to be, so I was a little disappointed, but delighted to see some of the really interesting um, Neil Adams work and the you know the way that he shook things up, where you know perfectly fine Marvel style before, but then you know it's good to see that all of the praise and things I've I've heard heaped on him over the years like were were uh, not overselling it because sometimes. You find out about, like, oh, what was the big deal? Well, this is very clear. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, he was uh, a cut above the rest. And uh, sad that he's gone. Um, he could tell a story. Um, yeah. Hank Pym is the literal worst. Oh, yeah. No, absolutely. Holy <laughs> I, I love I love that even even turned into a Neanderthal. Uh, <laughs> the fact that he has, the fact that he has a thing for, you know, his wife, I guess, uh, is, like, what keeps him from killing her, I guess. Which, you know, if you know anything about the the story of Hank Pym, isn't usually the way that works out. I just thought he would club her over her head and take take her back to his cave, as he would have before he became a caveman. But even before that, it's like, sorry, like, Hank Pym shows up in this, and, uh, you know, he's, they they fly off to this Arctic base, and Hank Pym is like, oh no, this is going to be dangerous, quick, let me slap my wife. (laughs) He Sorry. does. The very first thing he does is he turns Duh. around and he's like, Janet, this is too dangerous for you. Smack! So you, you can't take a slap from old Hank Pym. You can't take a slap from anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, don't, I don't they say I don't, something about like... I don't want to joke about domestic abuse, but it almost... <laughs> so I'm not. Never mind. I'm just going to stop <laughs> it. Um, and there's something else earlier on. Like, it's creepy... Um, the way Pietro keeps like, like, get away from my sister, get away from my sister. Why? What do you want to do to your sister, you <laughs> creep? You know? I mean, so there's that going on. Ultimate's universe. There, yeah, yeah. There's um, the way that they talk about Wanda in a couple of these issues. It's like, oh, this, like, it's like the, the attitude is like, this little woman is emotional right now. It's just like, th- no, no. Why are you? Why are you acting like this? It's just, yeah. Ugh, I can't find it. There's too much Rick Jones in here for me to pinpoint <laughs> the misogyny. Yeah. I'm Rick Jones, Cree. <laughs> You're trying Maybe. really hard to make that the episode title, aren't you? No, it's just <laughs> I can't not say it. I can't. It's just, oh, it's in there. Yeah, but. Um, the vision, um, I like how he explains his powers every time he uses them. What about you guys? <laughs> no? It's annoying? <laughs> huh. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, a lot of things, yeah, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff kind of bugs, but you know what? We got through it, guys. It's not and the worst we thing we've read by a long shot. No. Uh, speaking of, where does it belong oh. on our ranking? Oh, what a segue. That was pretty good. I'm proud of you, John. Hey, you know, had to make up for my long intro because I screwed that up so bad. (laughs) Okay, currently on our list, we have 192 stories. The very top of our list, we have No Normal, Ms. Marvel. Really nervous about that series, you guys. Hope it's good. Really nervous about it. I still haven't watched the trailer. Yeah, trailer looks good. Very bottom of the list is The Evil That Men Do, Spider-Man Story with Kevin Smith. Um, we have Spider-Man stories 
all throughout the list. Where does masks go? Low. <laughs> it goes low, just offhand, without even knowing where its place is on the list. Spider-Man Loves Mary Jane is better. I mean, I don't Fine. think that was ever a discussion. <laughs> I think it was more of an informing, like, you know when you're served with papers? When you, <laughs> when you get a subpoena? It was Steven just informing me, John, this is happening. My therapist tells me I need to set boundaries. <laughs> <laughs> It's so therefore it goes below 127. But it also is not offensive or bad, right? No. So it goes no. above, oh, I don't know, uh, Galacta, daughter of Galactus at 168. Jeez, I would say it actually goes above five rows. Yeah, I was going to say. I like Galacta, but I know you guys don't, so, like, I thought you would put it above Galacta. I was just going, like, the widest. Yeah. The, no, I'm, yeah, it goes above Galacta, but I'm, like, the, here are the widest parameters oh, we can okay. zero Well, you said below, so I was confused. Oh, no, I'm sorry. I said it doesn't go below that. Oh, okay. It weirdly reminds me of, like, a couple of stories that we have just below Mary Jane Homecoming, specifically Aranya and Five Ronin. It's like, mm -hmm. this was this attempt to bring in more diversity and tell stories about different cultures that kind of falls flat a little bit. I think this one, I mean, it was just a two-issue arc. It was just a two-issue arc. And not followed up, right? Right. So I don't, yeah, uh, that's I, part of the problem. Which is part of the problem, but there were, I still can't get over the fact that there's so much potential in a luchador superhero. Um, anyway. By day, he, it's like, by day he fights crime. And then he goes to fight in the ring. And then he goes and fights crime again. Like, that's just a packed schedule. But also, like, I'm sold on that already. Because then, like, then you have, like, a really interesting story about him just continuously getting tired and tired and tired. How long Wait, does he have a mask? Does he have a mask over his mask? And then at some point he starts mixing up the masks. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, In the... In the in the ring, he's El Guapo, but by night and by <laughs> earlier in the day, he's El Gato. And then sometimes they're like, wait, El Gato is in the ring. Uh, so anyways, what we're saying is Marvel hire us. We'll give you a, we'll, we'll give you a better El Muerto. We'll give you a better El Muerto story. Someone wrecking and someone cracks the secret identity by his pecs. Because of course he's shirtless. <laughs> yeah, of course. No, no, no. You don't They're like, that's superhero. He's got glasses on him. <laughs> <laughs> Here's an episode title. What prescription are your nips? You go. <laughs> oh, gosh. Anyway, I uh, want to put this... Um, I want to put this between Aranya and Homecoming, which was that uh, Guardians of the Galaxy story where they, like, meet the Punishers. Oh. Yeah. I'm fine with I, that. I mean, I can't... I can't think of a reason for it not to be there, so... Yeah. I mean, again, not offensive, just not the best. Mm. And I'm worried, because, I don't know, I'm worried to crease scroll wars in the same sort of territory, right? I, I mean, I'd put it a little higher. I'd put it higher for the art, definitely, for the ambition, because it does cover a lot of ground. Mm -hmm. But, I don't know, I don't think it goes, goes much higher. Because I think, like, story-wise... Um, like Big Thunder Mountain Railroad is a more like this happened and this happened and this happened. But I also like would read, I would reread this, you know, Avengers story again, just to see the art and just to like study the paneling and everything. So I want to put it above that, but that, that, I don't know how much higher. Yeah. The art when it's not covered by word bubbles. <laughs> yeah. Oy. I don't want to put it above Mary Jane Homecoming, but I feel like we have to. <laughs> 
Do you want to put anything above Mary Jane Homecoming, though, really, if we're being honest? Uh, a little plaque that says best comic ever. <laughs> <laughs> it is not, Stephen. You need to learn. <laughs> no. Even what the duck is above Mary Jane Homecoming. I don't know. Aldo, where do you think that this oh, mess don't goes? don't ask me that. I'll, <laughs> I'll put it right where Stephen said. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I didn't like it too much. I had some complaints. Um, I had a lot of complaints. So, like, I probably wouldn't put it that high above Homecoming. It's Mary Jane Homecoming. But, like, I don't know. Like, around Night... Maybe right above, like, Night of the Sentinels. Below Demon in a Bottle. That's kind of where I was thinking. I, I personally think, like, I liked the Eternal story better, even though I, like, wasn't rooting for any of the characters. This one, like, I know and like the characters, but it was, it was like, it was work to get through, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, tricky. Steven? I'm, I'm okay with that general neighborhood. What do you think? I would say let's put it between Twas the Fight Before Christmas and Ultron Unlimited then. Oh, dropping it down even more. Okay. Just a little bit, just because Twas the Fight Before Christmas was one issue. And it wasn't the... It was it was fine. <laughs> it was fine one-off Spider-Man Christmas story with some kind of mildly questionable stuff. I have a little bit of... This, this book wore me out, and so I'm a little bit tired. <laughs> yeah, I hear that. Yeah. Oh, goodness. Okay, so, so above Ultron Limited, that's what I Yeah, heard. so the new number 124. Man, Ultron oh, Unlimited. Uh, that's timing, huh? Mm. Ultron Unlimited was drawn by George Perez. An another who we've lost. Uh, so speaking of George Perez, we are going to uh, visit a George Perez story for our next episode. Uh, we're going to read Hulk Future Imperfect, which is a two-issue story. And I actually think George Perez only did one of those issues. But I've seen some panels from it, and they're quite good. Uh, never read the story, though, so that'll be that'll be good. Mm -hmm. uh, the other story that we're going to read, it's been a while since we've read some Star Wars comics. And the minute somebody mentioned that, Aldo immediately dives in and says, Okay, we're reading The Star Wars, which is an adaptation of, like, George Lucas's original screenplay for Star Wars. Mm-hmm. I actually, so I actually had to check because like the last couple of times that we've won, that we've read Star Wars, it still hadn't been available. Oh, interesting. So I checked. That was the first thing I did. I wanted to check to make sure it was available. It is. Also, Issue Zero is just like a companion thing. It's like behind the scenes and like some unpublished designs and comic pages. So we do not need Issue Zero narratively. I might take a peek in it to see what happens. Yes, do that. But anyway, yeah, uh, should be, should be good. I'm I'm excited to to get a glimpse into the mind of George Lucas from the early early days because like you know that's kind of the I don't know if the myth is the right word but a common sort of sentiment surrounding George Lucas is that he has really good ideas but needs other people to help him rein them in it'll be mm -hmm. interesting to see if that impression kind of holds up under this first comic or under this comic that's kind of adapting his early story. All I need to know about the mind of George Lucas is thinking of an interview with some game developers. I forgot what game they were working on, but apparently they were like in the middle of discussing, you know, the story and he grabbed two like character busts, put them on the table, pushed them together and was like, they're friends now. <laughs> <laughs>